the sound of that tractor means it's time for us to go to work. Welcome to the Give Us the Dirt podcast powered by Hoopa Grading Company. My name is Brandon Lindsay and I am your host. So I'm a big team guy. I, I'm a sports fan. I grew up playing various sports. Uh, I love watching teams. I love coaching teams. I love leading teams. But mostly I love being a part of a team. There's no better feeling than winning and celebrating a win with your teammates. I love that. Uh, In all the teams that we're on, even relationships that we're in, each individual brings something unique to the table, whether it's a new perspective, a different set of skills, different talents, different approaches. All of that comes together to give that team the best opportunity for success. That's the beauty of a team. We're all different. We all have different unique abilities. The last thing in the world that we should ever want in our businesses or our relationships is to be on a team of people that are exactly like us, right? That might sound cool. It might sound easier to have people that agree with everything you say or act exactly like you do or never disagree or challenge you, but I promise you it's a recipe for disaster. Our guests on the show today know exactly what makes a successful team successful, and that's the uniqueness of the team members. That's why, we're so, that's why they are so passionate about creating a diverse workforce, specifically in the construction industry. All right, fun fact right here. Less than 12% of construction employees are women. And most of these are office workers. Get this, less than 1% are actually site workers on the job site. Why is that? And is it a problem? Our guests today on the Give Us the Dirt podcast are going to help us understand this a little bit better and maybe even help us try to blow up some of these myths and misconceptions about women in construction industry. LaToya Falston is executive director at She Built This City, a nonprofit organization with a mission to bring more women into the building trades by sparking their interest while they're still young. Also joining us today is Jessica Rodriguez, who is our resident in-house recruiting Jedi I gave you a new job title. I see that. Here at Hoopa Grading Company, welcome LaToya and Jessica. Thank you. Thank you. Good to have you here. Thank you both for being here. And I'm hoping that you two can help us uh, and our listeners give us a new perspective on a topic that I believe is incredibly important to our team who here at Hoopa Grading, but also to the future success of the construction industry. So before we get, dig into our topic today, we want to find out a little bit about you, want our listeners to find out about you. So, Latoya, we're going to start with you. This is a very broad question, but tell I want to hear your story. How did you end up here? How did you end up executive director for She Built This City? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for the invitation. Absolutely honored to be here to share the microphone with Jessica and to dig into this topic that is extremely uh, a big passion, you know, of mine, both personally and professionally. So how did I get here? My story is atypical for someone who would be leading an organization in the construction industry. I actually started in education. So I was a teacher. Um, I joined Teach for America and I lived on the border of Texas and Mexico for three years. And it was there that my heart for education and for community development was born. I didn't know community development was a thing. All I knew is that my students within my classroom needed more than I could provide for them. No matter what they made in my class, so I I taught high school English, so no matter what grade they made, they could ace every test, every quiz I gave. If their circumstances outside of my classroom didn't change, that A meant nothing. 
So soon after my commitment with Teach for America, I left the classroom to go pursue business. I came back to North Carolina, got my master's degree in business administration with the goal of supporting nonprofits. One of the things that I noticed early on in my career was that oftentimes nonprofits are led by passion, but not a whole lot of business sense. (laughs) And so I pursued my MBA specifically to go back to the nonprofit community to be able to combine both my passion and business acumen to be able to excel. And so I found um, my heart and my passion within education-based nonprofits. So I thought that was the the key to change. You know, you needed to bring professionals outside of the who are outside the classroom into the classroom to make learning real, make that why does this matter connect for kids. And so I spent five years with an organization called Citizen Schools, where we brought Microsoft, Bank of America, you know, into the classroom to teach students those things they wouldn't learn typically was there for five years, thought I had found the key, the answer to my question, it was at that time I realized no matter what we did for students, if their parents were not impacted, again, things were not going to change. So I left uh, that nonprofit looking for other opportunities to spread my wings, and that's when I learned that community development was a thing. And so I, I joined an organization and was the founding executive director for a community development corporation here in Charlotte. And it was right about the time that the data came out about upward mobility in Charlotte, that if you were born in poverty in the city, you had 0.4% chance of getting out of poverty. And the study showed that key factors of affordable housing, workforce development, access to healthy, affordable foods were those keys that would make the difference in um, a child's life. And so then I was like, that's where I need to be began to pursue that. But even with those three, I call them the trifecta of upward mobility. There's more things as transportation. There's lots of things. But I felt that those were the key. But within those three, workforce development became the focus because we know that there's a goal of 34,000 more affordable units here in Charlotte. One of my mentors would say, God's not making no more land. And there's but so much affordable housing you can build. At some point, you have to turn your focus to ensuring that people have living wages to afford any housing that they want to live in. And so that's where workforce development then became my focus. I met Demi Knight Clark. She is the founder of She Built the City, our past crossed in this workforce development world. Um, she invited me to be on a panel for She Built the City, talking about overcoming barriers in the workplace. Had a great time. I watched her from a distance with this organization and was cheering her on. She bought an Airstream. She did a virtual podcast, all these things like, yeah, go Demi. Get, got a phone call in May of 2020 in the midst of the pandemic, random. Latoya, have your ears been burning? I've been talking about you. I'm going back to the for-profit world and I need somebody to run. She built this city. I was like, whoa. (laughs) Um, It was a call. It was the first time I've ever gotten a job offer without an interview or a request. It was like, I know that you are the person to lead this. Can you, can you lead it for us? It was a bit speculative in the midst of a pandemic to start with a nonprofit that was six months old, but both my gut and a good friend who works um, in government said, Latoya, construction and women, you cannot lose with this. Like you can do this. You have what it takes. And this is a space that can grow. And so as the rest, as they say, is history. I never would have imagined this would be a space that I'm in, but I absolutely love it. I, I firmly believe that the trades is a solid pathway for upward mobility in our community. And this is the answer I was looking for 20 years ago when I left the classroom and searched for great opportunities for my students. You didn't know it was going to look like this. Had no idea. What a great story. <laughs> I mean, you, what an impression you must have made 
on her to be oh, able to <laughs> just call and say, that's my person. That's she's going to, she's going to lead this organization to the next level. And then you just took a huge leap of faith and said, I, I don't know Let's anything do about construction, but <laughs> no, nothing. I'm passionate about community <laughs> development. And this is yes. an opportunity to do it. So tell me real quick, what, what is the mission and vision of She Built This City? Yes, She Built This City's mission is to ignite interest in construction and the maker trades for girls, career-choosing women, and non-binary individuals. We imagine a future in the skilled trades that is both diverse and infused with technology. And so that is what we seek after, both in our youth and adult programming, and we have even more coming down the pipeline. I can't wait to find out more about it. And we're going to dig into that. And I noticed you used one. You used the word "dig into" earlier. I did. Was that? Did you do that on purpose? I did it. You've on been purpose. listening to the podcast. <laughs> I love that. All right. And so, as executive director, you are you're responsible. You wear all the hats. Yes. Right. You mm-hmm. programming, fundraising, administration, all of it. <laughs> yes. All right. We're going to find out more about that job first. We want to introduce Jessica. Jessica, thank you so much for doing this. I promised Jessica that uh, we would have shots waiting for her yes. at the end of the podcast. <laughs> yes, sir. This is your first podcast, right? Yes, sir. All right. So help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. Um, was construction always in your plan? No, it was not, sir. Um, I was back in my home island in Puerto Rico. And not like um, Latoya, she had an offer. She had an offer. Um, she had a job offer. That was made to her without applying. I needed a job and construction was everywhere in Puerto Rico. So I was like, let's let's do this. So I was scared at first because it's nothing, as we we're talking about, it's nothing that normal at that time. But I'm like, I have a job opportunity. It was close to my, where I live. And so I said, let's do it. And I had fun doing it. And I said, I want more. I want more. I want to go for more. This is interesting. I like it. And I want to do this, and here I am. So, what are you responsible for as market uh, as recruiting Jedi at Hoopah Grading <laughs> Company? Um, well, I like um, one of my responsibilities is engaging candidates to apply with us um, in Hoopah Grading. I help uh, with the interviews, um, tryouts if they're more skilled to go out in the field to see what they what they have, what they can give us. And going through the pre-screening employment process so they can be part of the Hoopa family. And I've seen you do this, and I know you do a fantastic job of it. Our, we have people that go through our orientation class that you lead, and they walk out of that thinking they've never experienced anything like that. They feel already a part of the Hoopa family, and you make them feel that way. So today's topic is going to be about women in construction, and you embody that. I mean, just your great example that you've done so well do you believe that as a female recruiter in the construction industry, you have certain qualities that you bring to the table that help you in that role? Well, I believe I do. Um, seeing that it was hard at the beginning, not something very common. Now being a recruiter, hiring women, I feel that I can set an example and be um, inspire other women, other females, motivate them. Hey, Jessica did this. I can also do it. It's it's not, you don't have to be scared to work in the industry as a female. Actually, it's very fun and you learn a lot here in this industry. So you work, you earn um, earn a living, but you also enjoy what you do. That's great. And I can tell you're having fun doing it. And I'm I love to see that. I don't know about the bo- the podcast, but it's okay. The tequila, it's going to be good. Just, yeah, just add that to the resume. <laughs> okay. 
Yeah. All right. So we're going to have a little fun. We're going to do fact or myth right here because there's a lot of myths and misconceptions surrounding women in construction. So I'm going to throw you a softball here. This is an easy one. All right. Fact or myth. In 2020, only about 11% of jobs in the construction industry were held by women. In addition, only 2.5% of women are tradespeople and less than 1% are site workers. True. True. That's true. That's true. I had no idea that the numbers were that low. Latoya, yes. you did. And they've grown, though. So it was 9% two years ago. So 11% is actually a win. So, we're ma- <laughs> so we are improving. We're making a little bit of progress. Yeah. But it's too slow. And that's yeah. the thing is we need to heighten that number quickly. You know, we have to go faster. We need to go more in depth. All right. Next one. Women don't work on job sites. It's too dirty. It's too noisy. It's too dangerous. False. False. All right, Latoya, you first. (laughs) How do you know that's false? That is false in a number of ways. First of all, your statistic, there are women on the job site, and we see them every day. They are killing it on the job site. So one of the things, there may be one of your questions later, but one of the things that we hear and we see is that women outperform their male counterparts. And when they are there, they're running circles. Um, They're more meticulous. They are more collaborative in their efforts. They handle conflict more succinctly (laughs) in the work that they do. Um, So we see women thriving. The other thing I'll talk about is the dirty jobs. Um, I think we talked about this earlier. Like, let's talk about dirty jobs. Women can and can do dirty jobs and they succeed in them. You know what is a dirty job? Being a mom, cleaning up vomit, (laughs) you know, childbirth. And then let's talk about some other commonly held jobs by women, nurses, dirty job, bedpans, CNAs. I mean, janitorial work. Who typically cleans up job sites after everything is done? Women. And so I think there's this notion that, you know, the sewer of a plumber, you know, that a plumber is in or works around is too disgusting for women. We handle disgusting nine to five, five to 12. Like we handle it all the time. And so it is very much a myth that it's not a place that women can excel. Excel. What a great perspective on that. You're exactly right. I have seen my wife handle the dirtiest of dirty jobs. But what a great way to put that. I mm-hmm. totally agree with what Latoya just said. It's just like 100%. We're not, we're not scared for the dirt. We're, mm. we're not scared because we do that as moms, a mother of two. That's, that's what makes us women. Exactly. What about the women that you hire that come in that they say they want to join this team? Are they looking for office jobs? Are they um, saying, no, no, I don't want to be on the job site? No, well, we have a couple, but when they come here, we tell them it's going to be out, it's going to be dusty, it's going to be hot, and they say they're in. I love that. And to Latoya's point, not only are they willing to do it, in many ways they're outperforming their yeah. counterparts out there. So, all right, fact I, or myth? Can I add something? Absolutely. I've spoken with superintendents, and they say a lot of women that we have here are more dependable even mm-hmm than the men so they can outperform just get to know just to train them and they they can do an excellent job as Latoya said even maybe better and they're more loyal yes well that's that's the next one then yeah I think you may have just blown <laughs> up the next myth which is women can't hang with men in the trades myth completely yeah yes. I was gonna I was gonna you know turn it upside down what do you mean can't hang they can't hang with us so I mean if, if you think there's a separation <laughs> in work product then yes but it's not that we can't hang with them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you're you're getting first hand accounts from superintendents, from leaders out in the field that 
They're saying hire more. Hire more women. We need more women in the team. What about running heavy equipment? Two. They also, we we train them in, in HEC. We have an academy and we train them exactly how we train men. Same, it's the same training, the same classes, and they even learn uh, faster. I have a couple of employees that they started off in roller, and they're learning in maybe three, four months, dozer, excavator, and they're not scared to run them. I love walking in here to the academy and seeing some of our uh, female team members on the simulators. And they're they're working on that. They're working on advancing through all the different pieces of equipment. They're working on the excavator, the dozer, uh, and they love it. They're committed. They're committed to this industry because since it's an industry that's normally for men, as we were speaking, no, we're committed to do to do it better, to do what it takes. You know, that's a very interesting quality that uh, is probably probably makes women more successful in the construction industry is that level of commitment because they're committed at everything. Then when they come here, they commit to doing it and they're going to do it the best of their ability and they're going to stay. Think about it. We're committed to families, Mm -hmm. to our kids, to the community, to churches, to school. So might as well also be committed to what, to our job and, and, and be good at it. Absolutely. What about this? You can't make good, you can't make a good salary as a female construction worker. Myth. myth, big myth. Talk to me about that. So I would say the trades in general, construction in particular, is one of the highest paying spaces that you can be in, especially without a four year degree. Um, you get paid. To, it's one of the spaces you get paid to learn. And I think this is maybe a deeper topic for later. There's been this stigma associated with the trades, especially my generation was taught, you know, by our parents who were in the trades that you go to college. That is your pathway out. Um, not knowing that they owned their home on two acres of land <laughs> and they sent their child out, you know, to go to college who now is in debt and cannot afford to buy their first home. So we're seeing that generation come out and say, this wasn't the path for me. And so, yes, you can be successful. Yes, you can name your own price. I'm very proud to say we have a, a plumbing pre-apprenticeship happening right now. And we're six weeks in and our first um, candidate has already gotten a job offer because of the work that she's done, because of the need and because women are now being seen as a, a bit of a commodity and knowing that they can bring value to the team, you can name your price. So not only is construction baseline a lucrative space to be, as a woman, you bring more value to the team because of the diversity that you bring. You can name your price. People don't think about that. People don't think about this industry as a way to be successful, to make money and to have a, um, a good salary. But yes. that's completely false. Completely false. Jessica, do you see a pay gap? No. Here, um, the experience I have here in Hoopa grading, it's fair employer. It does not matter woman or men. If you have the character and you are determined, it's not the physical characteristics that we're looking for here. It's as we've spoken, the, the, the eager to be the best, the, the commitment, that's what pays off. And I'll say one other thing, Brandon, it's not only competitive in salary. One of the things that trades offer is a pathway to entrepreneurship more quickly than a lot of other career paths. And so if, especially for women, this is another area that we, we talk about a lot is the flexibility around owning your own business. As a woman, um, if you want to only work, you know, 7 a.m. to 2 p.m. because you need to pick up the kids for school, this is a space. If you start your own business, you can do that. You can name 
your price, you can name your hours. Um, and with the boom that we're seeing right now, especially in the residential space of the need for people wanting to like have their walls painted, you know, just simple things, quotation marks, simple. Um, women can excel in that and then you can run your own business. We're seeing plumbing. Um, I was speaking with Price Brothers yesterday and they were saying that they typically would do 5,300 new homes a year. Last year was 5,800 new homes. That's just for new home plumbing installation, period. And that's just one industry. So we're seeing the boom take up. And um, as a woman, this is a great space to launch your own business because then you have um, minority women-owned business funding from the government that then gives you an additional advantage to be able to go after things that other people cannot. That's a great point, Latoya. And I think even more so over the last year and a half. Absolutely. We've seen women transition over to the construction industry. And I was at a, um, a panel uh, discussion probably about a month or so ago, and it was the hospitality industry. And it was uh, representatives from the hotel industry, the convention centers, the uh, restaurant. And they were talking about how many people left the industry. And now that they're opening again, they can't get them to come back. And they're saying, we don't know where they went. Well, they went I wanted to raise my hand and say, they're running, do- <laughs> they're running dozers right now. Yes. They're running excavators. They're on the job sites. And so we've seen it here over the last year and a half that uh, people have transi- transitioned over to this industry that didn't know anything about it. It was, the- and, and didn't have experience. They could learn on the job, to your point, that there's there's apprenticeships, there's mm-hmm. opportunities to train while you're doing the job. And get paid to learn, which is the dichotomy that's been around for a long time. But just for whatever reason, again, the go to college, you go pay to get your education has become the American dream. But there is a way that you can go and learn and get upskilled when someone else pays for that. And I think people are like. I think the whole term essential worker is what changed during the pandemic. And when people couldn't go to work and they couldn't, you know, get a job at that time and they had to stay home, you know, it didn't stop construction construction. And I think that opened people's eyes. Just like, Oh, even the college I was planning to go to, they're not having classes. Okay. So what is an important job? What's an essential job? That whole definition changed for a lot of people during that pandemic. And they made a, big pivot. It's like, oh, I see they kept going. Let me go check this out. We felt that. I know Jessica (laughs) did too. Yes. All right. This one, I'm interested in this one. So women are not welcome in the construction industry. It's a good old boys club and not a safe place for women. I would say half and half maybe on this one. Um, Many companies sadly see women maybe that's a potential problem. Um, because of, of the history of, of women, um, they're known to stay home and pay attention to the kids, cook, and, and that back in the days. But um, today, when, when companies give the opportunities for women, um, they see their passion. As, have, as we've been speaking, they see um, that they're, um, they think that they're in a disadvantage and that makes them stronger. That makes them stronger employees and more uh, willing to learn, more committed to what they, they want to do. And they have a family to feed. They have kids that look up on her. They just can't stay home. They have to go out and, 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 and work. Um, so nowadays, the employers who give women the opportunities, they, they said, as we see, they want more women jobs. Mm-hmm. I would say that, unfortunately, it is true. 
But I would say that there are now many efforts being put forth to change that. So the truth comes from the facts. There was a USA Today article that came out in January of this year that said 96% of apprentices, this is coming up from up north, um, 96% of apprentices still see women as a threat to training, even the instructors, and that sexual harassment is still very high in this industry. It's one of the most, I'm going to call it an antiquated industry in that it's seen the least amount of change. You know, whereas technology, you know, medicine, we're seeing more diversity overall in those careers. Construction is one of those areas where it's still predominantly white male. So that's a fact we can't ignore. But I will say what we're seeing are greater efforts to change that narrative and to make it more welcoming. I'll shout out real quick the iron workers. Um, we had a recent show with Vicki O'Leary, who's the director of diversity. Um, they not only they've instituted a maternity leave policy, um, but they also have instituted a policy called Be That One Guy. And it's about um, going against bullying in the industry. And so it's one of those things of teaching how you become an ally. And so their theory is, you know, 90 percent of men, you know, don't treat women or other people badly. There's that 10 percent for whatever reason who may be that bully. And so it's how do you train that 90 percent to be that one guy to say, hey, no, that's not right. Because the internal accountability will take them much further than a policy. <laughs> and so I would say, unfortunately, yes, it's still true. But there are a lot of people, a lot of companies that are trying to make a change. She built the city being one. We have our all women's plumbing apprenticeship for that reason. And we're doing things around um, self-defense. We're doing mental health coaching about what does it mean to enter into a male dominated space? Because I push back at training programs that may recruit women, but don't prepare women for what it means to be in a male dominated space, because it's not the same. Um, I went to a historically, well, I went to a PWI, predominantly white institution as an undergraduate at Elon University. And we had a program specifically for your African-American students. It was called Smart Mentors. And so we had, we went to training to say, this is what it's like being in a predominantly white environment. When you hear this, when you see this, this is how you respond. And that was a training that I value even till today. So women need the same thing. I don't think we should, I don't think we can do the training the same if you're going to prepare them for true success and assimilation into a place that doesn't look like them. We have to be real about that fact. Yeah, I agree. I agree totally. And you know, that totally changes your job too, because I think both of you agree that we're not there yet. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. There is still, um, the sense of women not being welcome in the construction industry as a whole. But for you, you're not, it, it, all of a sudden, you can't just work with the women that are trying to get into the industry. You're having to work with the businesses. Yes. You're having to work with the companies and, and teach them how to be more diverse, how to open up their doors and how to train their people to mm -hmm. be able to deal with. So that, that makes your job a little bit harder. It is. And it makes it more encompassing. I talk about us as we are workforce development solution that starts early. So if I'm going to be recruiting those Girl Scouts, you know, at eight and nine years old, hey, choose the trades. I got to be talking to those future employers. And then when they come to you, <laughs> these are our non-negotiables. This is how you, they need to be treated. This is what they're going to be expecting when they come. Will you have a nursing mother's room? Do you have PPE that fits them? So we have our pledge for equity 50-50 by 2030 to address those things because it needs to be a two-pronged approach. We are taking on the mantle of bringing more women into the space, making them equipped but the industry has to do its job as well to ensure that women feel safe when they get there, because not only is it um, assimilation, but then it is retention. Will they stay? Will they grow? That's when you get the true value of a diverse team is will they stay with the team. Um, another thing, our friends at Lowe's, um, on one of our board members talks about 
you truly feel welcomed in a space, especially in your job, when you can come as your full self, whatever that means. Last, you know, decades, definitions of, you know, workplace ready was that you come to the job and you change to that culture. You have to conform to what it means to be there. That's not what it means anymore. This next generation is not going to have it. (laughs) So it's like, can I come and be my full self? Can I wear my hair in its natural form and exist here? Or do I have to change to look like you? And so those are some of the conversations that we're having, tough conversations, but conversations that are needed if we're going to make true change in the industry. Yeah. And kind of make sure all of a sudden you're working to impact the entire community. You're having to talk to the business leaders. You're having to talk to uh, the managers and the companies, and you're having to prepare these women that are going out into it. Jessica, mm-hmm. you, I think you would agree too that we don't. It's not about conforming. As long as you can adhere to the core values of the company, then yes. um, here in the in HEC, we don't have. Um, I agree. A lot of women apply, so um, it's as I said earlier. Yes, it could be a little bit scary, but. Um, Thanks for organizations like um, Latoya that they're helping the woman to and the community to understand that if we have a great um, work environment for women, then we can have diverse and and better company. Yeah, Latoya, I'm just going to lay it out there. Mm-hmm. Just we've danced all around it. Why are there not more women in construction? There are a number of reasons, Brandon. Um, I'll go back, uh, I'll take a historical approach really quickly. So, you know, in 19, the 1970s, the trades were removed from schools systematically. You know, some would say because it was cheaper. <laughs> you know, you can put more desks in a room than you can put excavator simulators. <laughs> so they, um, they took the trades out of the school. And so that was the first wave of eliminating access to trades for all people but it particularly impacted minorities in rural communities. Um, I would say also women. So if you, although women were typically pushed towards like the home ec side of extracurricular, um, it was still accessible in schools. So that was taken out. Then construction became more of a family business. And so it was a matter of, I, I don't get access in school. And now it really is about family. So who in your family does this? Then it was that American dream has changed. It's like, yes, I might have made my wealth as a plumber or as an electrician, but my child's going to college. And so people, again, in the minority community specifically, were saying, yes, I did this. This is no longer good, worthy work. So you go to college. You do better than me. And so I think those three buckets of things have really made it not even accessible for women. So you don't get access in school. If you don't have a family member that was in it, you don't know anything about it. And um, if you did have a family member, you were told that that's dirty work. That's a noble work. You go do better than me. and You go to college. And so you will see we heard that. And again, I'll focus on African-American women. African-American women are the most educated in society. Like they have the highest amount of degrees, <laughs> the highest level of degrees, but they're paid the least. So we see that, you know, the messaging on some degrees, we would listen to our families, we listen to our parents, but the money didn't follow. So I think those things systematically kept minorities and women outside of the trade. So it then became really a white male dominated space. And then the women you see were typically white women. Why? Because those were the daughters, the sisters of the white men who were running <laughs> the businesses. <laughs> and That's so- really interesting. I, I mean, yeah, I think you those those three Things alone mm-hmm. significantly impacted 
women ability, a woman's ability to get into the industry. Absolutely. It's a historical approach. I think we don't look at it that often. And so like when you're, those options are even taken away from you. I did a meeting the other day. I said, where are you going to learn righty, tighty, lefty, loosey? Like if that isn't something you don't learn it in school, knowing your family, and then you were told subconsciously or consciously that's not work for you. Then when your, you know, toilet is leaking, you're looking at it like, what in the world <laughs> is this? I don't even have the vocabulary. I don't have the tool. I don't even know what these tools do. And so it's been taken out of our vocabulary, our existence as something that's even accessible to us. Meanwhile, the people who were um, connected did have family members there. They're thriving because there's no more, <laughs> there's not enough people there. So you can now charge $150 per call as a plumber to tell them that I can't fix this today. I'll be back tomorrow. So, <laughs> so it, it systematically took a whole population of people from access. And so um, that's, I gave you a couple of reasons. It's not directly for women. It's just the historical approach of like how the trades then has, has not become a topic of discussion at the dinner table anymore, but we're trying to bring it back. Well, talk to me about that. So mm -hmm. you're talking about hundreds of years yes. of, of <laughs> history that have led to this it being an issue for us. Mm -hmm. How is she built this city trying to tackle that? How do you, how do you move the needle with all that working against you? We're, we're, we're moving the needle a couple of ways. We realize that a goal as big as ours of, you know, having 50-50 equity in the trades, it takes both all kinds of interventions. And so we say we start early, so as young as seven years old, with the conversation. So there's a few key demographics that we have to talk to. We have to talk to the kids themselves. If a young girl isn't exposed to a STEM career, science, technology, engineering, or math, by the time she's in the sixth grade, she's not going to choose it. So your typical workforce development programs that focus on high school it's too late. The girls who could have chosen have already self-selected out of the, the options. So we have to ignite the interest early. So we start as young as seven with our hands-on curriculum. We do wind chimes. We do magazine racks. Um, one of the things we realized about girls and women in particular and this next generation um, is that the why matters. So if you say, hey, come learn how to use this drill. Nobody is coming, signing up for that. We've actually tried those flyers. They yeah. don't work. Why? Because it's not engaging. It's not engaging. Why would I want to use When am I ever going to need to use this drill? Is it on my phone? Am I going to need it? No. But if we say, hey, that wildlife habitat down the road needs new duck habitats. We need to go build 20. Who wants to come build 20 with us? Oh, everybody can go up. Oh, perfect. First, let me teach you how to use the drill first. Like, so it's, we had to change the, the why. It, it matters more. You can't focus on the what, the drill. You have to focus on why do you need it. And we're, we're honing in on that it's a creative, and we're calling it a creative art because construction is a creative art. You're making, you're building, or you're taking down. That is true with it, this generation. They, they want to know why. Exactly. Like, when I was coming up, I didn't get to ask why. <laughs> no, but now they want to know why, and they need a compelling why. If I asked why, they would, my <laughs> yes. dad would just, because I said so. That was yes. the answer to every why question. But you're mm -hmm. exactly right. This generation they want to understand why. They mm -hmm. want to understand uh, what the purpose is yes. and what their role in that is. Uh, it's a great point. So we have to start early. We, we give them the why. We give them lots of whys. We support several other nonprofit organizations through projects. We want all of our volunteer service. We want all of our um, training to be connected to another purpose. And so Hope Vibes is a nonprofit I talk about often. They serve our houseless neighbors here, so the homeless population. They're building solar-powered hand-washing stations. So with the building of these, we can teach plumbing, we can teach solar panel installation, we can teach um, electrical wiring. And so those are the projects we take to our community and say, you want to learn, now you want to learn a trade? <laughs> you want to build it, you want to solve this community issue? 
through the use of your mind and your hands. Um, so that's one. Start early, give them a why. And then we provide more on-ramps. And so with our um, adult training pr- platforms, we go into communities where um, the conversations about the trades aren't happening. So we went to, you know, Charlotte Bilingual Preschool. We went to In Living, the Housing Authority. We went to Habitat for Humanity, um, which you would think Habitat for Humanity would be a natural direct correlation to people building houses because they built a house to get their house. But construction isn't a conversation that they have about career. So I was like, why are you all not training your people? This is like a natural pipeline. They've already had 40 hours, however many hours, building an actual house. Let's go let them get paid for it. And so we've gone into communities to have those conversations that haven't been had before. And we recruited. And so we're proud that we have eight women in our plumbing pre-apprenticeship, all women of color, three of them who speak Spanish as their first language. We provide our quizzes, our tests in Spanish so that we are closing that gap. And so we have to go into communities that it's been a bad word to think about the trades because that's the dirty work or mm-hmm. that's, you know, work beneath us um, because our parents did it. We want to do different. And so we go into those communities and say, no, it is worthy work. Let's get out there. Let's do it together. And we're going to give you the tools, figurative and literal, to be successful. We have to break that stigma on that. You're right. Jessica, you have a a daughter, right? Uh, I have two daughters. You have two daughters. (laughs) One's high school, right? Yes. So pretend your high school daughter comes home and says, Mom, I want to get in construction. What do you say? I'll say, let's go. (laughs) No problem with that. No problem. Um, You would think I would recommend um, you're going straight to Hooper grading. That's that's (laughs) where you're going to go. That's where you're going to build a career. Because I work here and I know um, the type of environment that that, um, my daughters can have. But yes, it's like it's like Latoya is saying. You would usually would say no. You have to go to high. You have to go to college, and you have to do something with technology. But as Latoya said again, um, no. It being in the industry, it's it's beneficial for you as a person, mm-hmm. as a person for a woman to be in this industry. You you gain a lot. You gain a lot. And that's why you're great in this role, because you have the opportunity to sway someone's opinion of the industry, of the company, of their opportunity to be successful in it right there from the beginning. And you have no problem hiring women. You got no problem telling a woman that she's going to be safe in this environment, that she can be successful, she can prosper, and she can have a long career. Yes. Yes. That's great. That's great. So... Toy, I love that we started out this podcast with the statistics. And, and when I said the statistic of 12, you know, that seems like insurmountable challenge right there. But your very first reaction was, that's, that's better. <laughs> it's better. Yes. It's better than it was <laughs> last year and the year yeah. before. And that's the perspective that we have to take on this, right? Mm-hmm. We're not going to solve this overnight, but we're, right. the, we are moving the needle. Absolutely. Moving it the is needle. getting better. Mm-hmm. And let's say we pull off everything that we need to do here and all that happens and we see our workforces go from 90% men to more 60-40, even 50-50, right? Mm -hmm. What can we expect? What does the industry look like at that point? It's a thriving industry. Um, That's what we will see. We will see a thriving industry because you started off with this about diverse teams. Diverse teams outperform um, homogenous teams. They have better ideas, there's better innovation, and they go faster. So if you think about the team forming process, you have your storming, norming, forming, conforming, performing. You know That takes longer when you have more diverse people on your team because you don't think the same like you mentioned before. But once you get to that performing, 
you're going to outperform every time. And so it's going to take us time to get there. You have to do go through the phases, a little bit of storming. <laughs> it's going to happen. A lot of storming is probably going to have to happen. But once we get to that performing phase and it is fully integrated, we're going to see buildings. We're going to see practices. We're going to see businesses that didn't exist, that don't exist now. Because when you get those diverse teams together, you solve problems quicker, faster, and more efficiently. What a beautiful picture. Absolutely. What do you think, Jessica? Can we get there? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. A, a more balanced um, industry, um, detail, more detail. Women are a lot of detailing and, and, and like to be uh, perfectionist, if that's, if that's the mm -hmm. word I can, I can use there. Um, yes, I believe it's going to be a better industry to work with. Latoya, so I want to ask you real quick. So the, the, our people that are listening to this podcast right now, some of that are running businesses, let's assume that they, they want to do better. They want to do a better job. They want a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive workplace. Mm -hmm. How do they start? That's a, okay. Where do you What's, start? There's lots of places you could start. So I'll give a couple. Um, if you want, let's start with the recruiting of women. Um, there's some best practices you can do about making your salaries um, available online. So a lot of times women don't negotiate their salary. They'll just take what's offered. First offer. Yeah. <laughs> and so make your normal salaries available for all people so that a woman doesn't have to guess and then ultimately undersell herself in the space. So, you know, put in more recruitment practices, go to spaces where there are women and recruit there. That's one way. Um, and then once they get there um, to make the space for them, look at your child care policy. That's probably the number one reason women, because where, where is there daycare on a construction site? Usually not or somewhere near. Make sure you're take, thinking about the holistic, the intersectionality of what does it mean to be a woman, a mom, your child care, your maternity leave. Um, do you have a nursing mother's space? So first, Think about how you're going to get them there. Make it equitable for them to be there. And then think about your policies that promote family um, and the things that are important to women. Not all women want to be mothers. I want to say that. You know, it's not a monolithic. It's not one story. But I think addressing those issues, is this a place I can grow? If I need to go to maternity leave, am I going to lose my job? Am I going to lose my rank, yep. you know, on, on, a, on a site? So those are things that a company needs to be thinking about and be vocal about because one of the things the iron workers noted is that they put in a, a child care policy and the very first person to use it was a man. <laughs> so when you put in um, measures to support more women in your space, you really support a family. You support the whole family to be um, more welcomed and to feel safe and to then ultimately be loyal to your company. That's got to be scary though to a construction business owner, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, how many construction companies do you know that have a nursing mother's room? Right. Not many. None. None. <laughs> or childcare programs. Yes. I mean, so that's 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 huge. That's a huge transition from where we are today mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. what's gotta happen. Yes. But I love your point that we've got to be intentional about our recruiting. Right. We've got to make sure that we're going out and we're identifying uh we're we're building a diverse workplace and we're mm -hmm. we're going after men, women, unique skill sets, all these different things that will make that team better. Absolutely. And so there's gotta be an intentionality about it. But then you also have to focus on your own house. You gotta make yes. sure that you've created that safe space mm -hmm. where they can be successful. Right. And that goes to your childcare programs and things that they're gonna need. Absolutely. That men don't need. And I, was, I want to note just a quick example, Allison Felix with the Olympics. I know everyone was so Olympics focused, you know, the last few years. You know, they, the big story with her was that she was dropped from Nike when she announced that she was pregnant. She got 70% less pay. She went, started her own brand, 
and now is the fastest woman <laughs> at 35 with a two-year-old. And so she wasn't given the accommodation she needed to be a full um, experience of a woman that she wanted to have. She wanted to be a mother. Um, she went out and created her own. And then she came and created a fund for child care for the other female athletes. So it's one of those things where we think it's a hindrance. But she went and after having a child, having a C-section, which is major surgery, she came back and performed better than she did when she was younger before having a baby. So there's those myths of you're going to when you take care of your women, they take care of you. I'll say that. Take Amen. care of your women, they will take care of you. Amen. So you have to think there about that go. full spectrum. That's that's a mic drop moment right there. <laughs> there you go. All right. Latoya, how do people find out more about She Built This City? www.shebuiltthiscity.org is our website. We're on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. Um, we're very active on social media. Connect with us. Um, we love to connect with you. Jessica, let's... Uh, how do our listeners stay up to date on positions with HGC and what's the best way for them to check us out? Best How to apply? Web page, www.hoopagrading.com. Click careers and then open positions. Right there we have right now, I believe, 23 um, job positions posted. Also, we have a form for Spanish speaking, formulario en español. So just apply and, and I'm here waiting here at my desk. And that's, that's a direct line to you. Yes, sir. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you both for doing this today. This was been, this has been fun. This has mm-hmm. been different than our other podcast episodes. Actually, you, you're the first women on our podcast. So congratulations for thank that. You. That was really cool. But uh, I'm inspired by your passion. I'm inspired by your commitment to making a difference in this industry. I uh, have a very strong, beautiful, amazing wife that, to your point, she is tough. She's handled the dirtiest (laughs) of dirty jobs. Uh, I got two daughters that I tell every day, you can do whatever you want to do. And if they want to be in construction, I know they're going to be great at it. And so I appreciate what you're doing to create those opportunities for women. I appreciate what you're doing to make this industry better. And thank you so much for being with us on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you for having us. Thank you for listening to this episode of Give Us the Dirt. Our podcast is powered by Hoopa Grading Company in Charlotte, North Carolina, and produced by Well Run Media and Marketing. Visit our website at giveusthedirtpodcast.com and subscribe to this podcast on Apple and Google so you never miss an episode.